Happy New Year, Beards and Bible listeners. On today's episode, we want to take time to answer some of your questions on topics like the biblical ethic for microdosing psychedelics for PTSD treatment, the show The Chosen and its supposed connections to the Mormon Church, Israel's role in the end times, and if there will be a literal third temple rebuilt in Jerusalem, and any more we can possibly squeeze into one episode. Thank you so much for sending us in your questions. Buckle up, because this one... Might be a doozy. Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible Podcast. Happy... New Year to everyone. Feeling 2014 is going to be our year. <laughs> I don't even remember 2014. Just to just somebody off that's driving down the road and they're just like, wait, what? Yeah. Mm. We should we should kidding. make like a sermon to using 2014 and all these like codes and stuff and find find. <laughs> you know, Psalms 20 verse 14, and then just like preach it, you know, this is what we're going to declare over this year. Yes. How many of those did uh, you hear growing up? Uh, I don't, I don't remember. More, yeah. more recently with, with like YouTube and stuff and these guys on YouTube just saying these things about. Yeah. Well, mm. Gabe, how was your, uh, how was the end of the year for you guys? Everything good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember just watching my neighbors running around in a retention pond, shooting themselves with bottle rockets and oh. Roman candles until it was my bedtime. And uh, okay. that was my New Year celebration. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Woke up in the middle of the night to uh, see my next door neighbors. They got their flat screen TV out and they brought it out into the side yard, which, it, you know, kind of like butts up to our yard. There's no fence in between us. And uh, they had a big fire going and, you know, lots of booze. And so about midnight, one o'clock in the morning, I wake up to people like yelling at each other and sound like a fight. But Stacy said it probably wasn't a fight. But um, yeah, I mean, just that was that was New Year's Day. It was just uh, being grumpy at my neighbors. What were they doing with their flat screen TV? Are they watching a game or something? Yeah, I think they were watching that. Was it was it the Georgia game that was on like yes. New Year's Eve? Yes. Oh, there you are. There you are. Uh-oh. Oh, look at you with your Georgia paraphernalia. Yes. Yeah, they just won, like, what was it, the Iron Bowl or something? <laughs> All <laughs> right, so let's, let's play the New Year's edition of Gabe and Sports. Da, 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 da. Gabe, what mm-hmm. what did Georgia just do uh, Monday? I know that they won something. Something <laughs> big. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that okay. to just... just just from what I gathered, like on the radio and stuff, like the, mm-hmm. their opponent, I I can't name who their opponent was, but that mm-hmm. it was actually kind of like a, it was actually kind of a disappointment. Like it wasn't, so, it wasn't that good of a game. And that, yeah, wow, I'm really impressed. Yeah. You actually, you, that's like a intelligent conversation about this topic. Yeah, yeah. I but like I said, I can't. There's some big major gaps there. Like I can't name who Jordan's okay. opponent was. Okay. Um, and I knew that there was a halftime show that included the Pentatonics. I did not or watch no. the halftime show. So I no, know. or was it? 
Was it that they sing the national anthem at the beginning? I have no clue about those details. I don't care about that okay, kind of stuff. Wow. Mm. But that's not sports. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the experience, though. Because like, no, you know. no, it's not. But uh, but yeah, no, that's good, Gabe. That's good. I'm proud yeah. of you, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. Georgia won the national championship for the yeah. second year in a row, and is a lifelong Georgia fan with. Uh, several Georgia alumni in my family. Um, I am a very happy Georgia fan today. So good. I'm glad. I'm happy yeah. for you. Thanks, man. I didn't do anything, but it was cool to see them do it. But yeah. I will say it doesn't feel the same this year as it did last year because last year everybody was rooting for Georgia to get there, and this year it seemed like everybody was like, "Nah, Georgia again." So, do you talk about Georgia like in first person? We've okay. had this conversation, and the answer is no, I don't. Okay. I really I really try not to because I get really annoyed by dudes mm-hmm. who sit around and are like, man, we got we to gotta start playing defense better. I'm like, you, you're not on the field, bro. <laughs> you're sitting on your couch eating Doritos. Like, you're not playing anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's you good. I think that's a healthy. down the hall without falling over, so – it's a healthy boundary that you don't talk about your football team in first person. I, I really try not to. It, and you know what? Something happens to me once the game comes on. My mm. wife has a uh, whole slew of videos on her phone of me pacing back behind the couch and grabbing on whole pillows and <laughs> being being an idiot during games. So I, I don't really know how to account for that guy, whoever that guy is who comes out mm. in a little close game. But uh, mm. if I do do that, I, I try very hard to not uh, talk in first person. So it's good. Yeah. And Jenny, if you're listening, we would pay premium <laughs> prices for these videos. <laughs> for whatever reason, she sends them to our, our friends, Bob and Dana, who go to our mm. church and live down the street from us. She thinks it's very funny to send it to them and they, they get a good kick out of it. But uh, beyond them, I don't. I don't know too many people who've seen him, but mm. yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go dogs. That's all I meant to say with that. So, <laughs> so speaking of, of victory, we're mm. called to live a victorious Christian life. And you know what, Gabe? Sometimes key to living a victorious Christian life is to search out the scriptures diligently and we can only do that through asking questions specifically by sending questions in to people who might be able to answer but this it's a terrible transition i don't know where i was going with that yeah we could just say on a different note we got yeah. some questions from our listeners yeah that's, that's probably better <laughs> trying to tie it to football be like, you know, sometimes the Christian life is like a jet sweep. You run to the right side and you pull out the mm. left tackle and you catch the blitz. That doesn't work all the time. Ugh. It sounds like an FCA yeah. huddle. How many how many pastors in the South though um this coming Sunday are gonna make football analogies in their song? Oh, because... Yeah, 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 yeah. All the mm. time. All we the need, time. We need you listeners to scan every church's live stream in the South <laughs> and to send in <laughs> and so we can make a montage of all the football analogies. Yeah. Specifically just from the state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. But I've been texting people a verse and that's Philippians 
three, uh, two, but two A, and all it says is beware of dogs. Hmm. Yeah. That's deep. That's deep. Yep. Because Georgia, deep. Georgia is the bulldogs. Yes, you got it. You got it. There you go. Mm-hmm. So on a different note, uh, we're going to tackle some listener questions that were sent in. And, uh, man, we got some good ones. Thank you guys to everyone who sent in questions. And yeah. uh, we're going to try to get through as many of these as we can. Um, a lot of you sent in multiple questions, so that's awesome. Thank you guys for doing that. Uh, so we'll just dive on in. That sound good, Gabe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, these are great questions. And let me just say that the whoever sent all these questions in, they're really well worded. Like they're very well spoken. I was reading these. I'm like, man, these are like, they aren't just like, you know, is <laughs> is the devil? Is the devil? You know, does Jesus have the keys to hell? Or like, you know, they're just like they're like really thoughtful questions. So I, I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not everybody. We need to get some other questions. So. You need to put them on here. But. <laughs> All right, you're gonna go ahead and then uh, why don't you read for us one of our first questions, and we'll look into it. I'm a. Uh, I think I just turned something on on my phone or something. It's. I'm hearing my voice coming through. No, something's like, going I don't know on with why. Dave. Let's see. Hang on. There, I think I stopped it. Did you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, now I'm ready. I was hearing like an echo of my voice, and it was like my brain was not ready for that. But oh, okay, gotcha. So anything, anything you said the past ten seconds, I did not hear. Just heard. Oh, myself yeah. No, yeah. You're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. So yeah, go ahead and dive in. Refresh your first question. We'll. Okay. This it. question. Is from Blair. Now, is Blair, did we have her on as a yes. guest? Yes, 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 yes. This okay, is the same Blair that okay. was on the uh, episode about LDS. Very cool. Hello, yeah. Blair. Thank you for sending in your questions. She sent in a few different questions. And it was hard to pick from Blair's question which one I should try to answer. Mm. Um, she had questions about uh, deconstruction and the age of the earth. So the way I kind of did this was, I was like, I'm going to pick the question that um, most of our listeners might benefit from, or at least be able to relate to. Hmm. And <clears throat> I picked the one where she says, um, what's the internet doing to the American church? Also, if either of you have any advice to parents for raising Christian kids in a post-Christian world. Hmm. Um, that one kind of struck a core with me. I have kids. Um, you know, it's like, the internet is in my house and it's, it's a very real struggle. It's so it's something that I think pertains to a lot of our listeners, but let's go back to the first part. What's the internet doing to the American church? It is absolutely wreaking havoc on it. Um, I hate to be like a nihilist or pessimist on this, but um, the internet is in my kind of my, my um, I compare it often to the, the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's so much good that the internet can do, but at the same time, there's so much destruction the internet is is bringing into families, into churches. And let me explain. Um, commercialism is alive and real, and this is just one component of it. Um, when you want to hear what you want to hear, you can find it on the internet. And so there are people who are seeking out false doctrine. There's people who are being taught false doctrine. That's a big problem. 
There's people who are being led astray by false teachers and false prophets. Um, then there's there's the more nefarious side of it, where there's men that I counsel who are addicted to internet-based pornography. Um, and that's wreaking havoc on their families, which in turn wreaks havoc on the health of your local congregation and church. Um, so there's all these different components to it. Um, there's there's lots of division within the body of Messiah that is evident and prevalent, visible on the Internet. Um, people who should not have a platform to teach, uh, to prophesy, um, they have a huge platform via yeah. the Internet sometimes. Um, so there's that, uh, it's, but it, like it's the other side of the coin is that, um, someone in Indonesia, you know, maybe in a predominantly Muslim neighborhood can watch a live stream of, you know, experienced community out of mm. you know Tennessee. It's like, yeah, there's such yeah, a yeah. blessing in that. But, um, unfortunately, I often wonder at times is the internet doing more harm than good at this point within the body of Messiah? And um, I don't quite know the answer to that, but I have a sneaking suspicion that it's doing more harm than good. Um, if you think of it, it's like, as a shepherd of a local body, a local congregation, you 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 can you can ha have a lot of um, control is not the best word, but like um, you can you can kind of contain. Uh, what comes in and what comes out of of the congregation in terms of biblical teaching and doctrine. And, I mean, you, you know, a hundred years ago, it would have been very rare for someone to come into your congregation and be like, hey, I just watched six YouTube videos on this particular topic. And you're like, right, whoa, right, 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 you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so so there's that, you know. Sure. Um, and th there's there's much more. We don't have time for me to get into, but it's, yeah. it's, um, it's wreaking havoc on it. But it could be used for great good as well. I don't want to dismiss yeah. that. Yeah, and that's just oh, good. Well, I was just saying, yeah, that's the double-edged sword, and I, I like how you said it's kind of like the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's like mm -hmm. there's just so much out there you can use. I mean, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast without the internet. So, right, I mean, that's. I think this is a. I hope and pray this is a good God honoring thing that helps people love Jesus more. Yeah, uh, but at the same sense, we wouldn't have as much work to do to try to dispel the false teaching and the goofiness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a lot of what this podcast is, is we're going through and we're trying to give people the tools to use discernment and kind of dispel some of the other crazy stuff that's out there on the internet. Um, so yeah, it's, and at this point it's kind of like you can't live with it and you can't live without it. Mm -hmm. I, I guess you could live without it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough because you have access to so many online study tools. I mean, I, I taught myself to read biblical Hebrew and, and some biblical Greek just using the Internet. I didn't go to college. I didn't mm. take college courses on that. I taught I, I taught I took college courses online for that, you know, mm. and it's like, man, there's so much good that can come from it. Uh, but there's also so much evil and destruction and um, confusion. Do, do you feel like also the Internet has been um, like. I think the biggest the biggest negative effect I see the internet having in the American church is this thing called comparison. Mm -hmm. Where like people will podcast sermons or live stream other churches and it's almost like they get an unrealistic picture of the kind of church 
that they think is perfect. Like you can almost basically just shop around for whatever church like is exactly like you, right? I think I shared this a little yeah. while ago. I had somebody come to next class or uh, our newcomers class and just say, "Hey, there's this one church in Arizona we've never been, but we watch everything that they put out, and we want a church just like that." Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of like, okay, we'll move to Arizona and go to that church, but like just going on the internet and going on somebody's website and listening to their live stream and podcast and all their stuff. Like you don't get an accurate picture of what that church is actually like. And all that does is causes you to almost shop around until you find the perfect church that fits every single part of what you are looking for. And I know a lot of people that don't attend the local church they just have found through online shopping the church that would fit with everything they want to hear, and they attend online. I use air quotes because I don't think that's actually a thing. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's not biblical at all. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and that, that's what I was basically trying to say when I said commercialism is alive and, and real, yeah. is that people have the opportunity now to sit on their couch and enjoy uh, you know, a church that is, has got all the bells and whistles and stuff, and it's like, you know, we joke around sometimes that we're we're so seeker friendly that, you know, our kids play in the they play in the woods behind the building. You know, like they we don't have these like fancy kids programs and, and playgrounds and all this stuff that that kids can play on. And it's just like, oh, yeah, send your kid out back in the swamp, you know, like, <laughs> but it's like, fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you can you can partake. It's just like like pornography. It's like, uh, you know, you can you can partake in something, even though it's a very surface level. Yeah. Um, you can partake in something that is like mind blowing, you know, and and it's not the real thing, but it's close enough that it, it placates your conscience, your desires. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, nothing beats in person, face to face interaction with human beings uh, and accountability with with real life human beings. Yeah. Um, with regards to her, to her second part of her question. She says, also, if either of you have any advice on raising uh, any advice to parents for raising children, uh, Christian kids, well, I cannot read Christian <laughs> kids in a post-Christian world. Um, that's a really big question. Uh, basically, just education and making them aware of, of issues um, when you feel that they have the maturity to be aware of these issues. Um, one of the things we're, we're doing with the youth from our churches, uh, one, one night a month, we're we're gathering together in someone else's home and we're talking about modern day issues that are that are youth are facing things um everything everything from um, deconstructionism to uh biological evolution and darwinian evolution uh to lgbtq issues abortion and we're sparking those conversations with with parents permission and blessing and talking through some of those things and where they lead a society, moral relativism. Um, but yeah, raising kids. And it, so it's, it reminds me of when the Jews were in Babylon in exile. Um, they had a really tough job ahead of them, these Jewish families did. And that was to keep their families and their children from assimilating into Babylonian culture. And it was such a big job because... Um, you know, you look at any family that has recently migrated to the United States of America, or maybe they're one generation away from having migrated to the United States of America. Look at how much of the original culture is intact just in a short 20 to 30 years. Usually mm-hmm. the language is the first to go, right? And and then maybe um, 
the the overall culture. They begin to assimilate into American society and culture and lose those those iconic, this trademark features of their their original culture. And so we have to we have to look at in a way like our homes are little embassies of of God's kingdom. We're moving further into his culture and trying to assimilate into his culture and his kingdom's culture. But at the same time, it's like we're trying to keep our kids from being dragged into the, the culture and assimilate into the culture of, of the world around us yeah, while absolutely. we're interacting with it and while we're loving it and showing it like the gospel and, you know, rubbing shoulders yeah, with people yeah. who are part of the world's, the world's kingdom. And uh, that's a really, really tough job. Um, and one I haven't completely mastered, I have young kids and it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know where that's going to lead them. Um, but yeah, just be in constant prayer for them. And, and one of the things I say too, is like, we're, we did this thing recently where we're calling it our ark challenge, where we're trying, we're reading through the story of Noah and, and the ark and the flood. And I'm telling families, I actually gave them like a, a list of prayers and scriptures to read every night with their family, but build an ark with their family to where when God's judgment comes, you're preserved as a family. But also Noah was known in Second Peter 2 as a preacher of righteousness, a herald of righteousness. Mm. Be heralds and preachers of righteousness. So you're building an ark within your family and building solid walls around your home of of biblical education and prayer. But at the same time, you're heralding the coming judgment, heralding the coming Absolutely. kingdom. Yeah, no, that's so good. I I, uh, I would add to that, there's an awesome book Um by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock. And the book is called Faith for Exiles. It is five mm-hmm. ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in digital Babylon. Interesting. And if, you, if you've not read that book, I think that's probably one of the most important books of uh, probably the past five or six years. David Kinnaman works with the Barna Group. Um, mm-hmm. And so like he knows cultural trends very, very well. And so um, it's essentially about everything Gabe was talking about, making sure that, you know, in our homes, we are doing everything we can to equip our kids for for life in a post-Christian world and um, giving them a Christian worldview. So, yeah, good book. And that's awesome. It's great. Well, very cool. Well, uh, let's move on to our next question, shall we? This is a question from from Deuce McGee. Not his not his real name, but this is the name he. Are you sure? Um, yeah, I'm sure. I know this person. But oh, okay, all right. I think I think Deuce McGee is a funny name. Uh, I appreciate that. So uh, I actually had a conversation on the phone with this individual about this particular uh, pick, and I, I think it's an interesting one, and it goes back to um, probably our most popular episode that gets more downloads than anything else episode we did on psychedelics and DMT. Mm. And so Deuce, Deuce McGee was wondering about, uh, microdosing psychedelics for PTSD treatment. Mm. So if you're not familiar with the episode that we did on DMT and psychedelics, we talked about how the scriptures are pretty clear that intentional intoxication on any mind altering, behaviorally altering substance is a sin. And there's so many verses in that, but just two is Ephesians 5.18. This says, do not get drunk. Romans 13.13 13 says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in drunkenness. And that's that's just two, and there's a bunch of others in the scriptures. Um, and so we explored in our 
episode on psychedelics and DMT, the link between psychedelics and the occult, <clears throat> and kind of talked about how that's that's a cause for concern as Christians. Um, but what this individual's question is, is essentially, okay, so what if somebody has like PTSD, they're a combat veteran, and you can microdose a psychedelic to treat that PTSD. So it's essentially like a therapy. Is that 100% banned from the scriptures? That's hmm. his question. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So just thinking through it, um, the Bible's clear. It says don't get drunk, but don't get intentionally intoxicated. Most people who take psychedelics don't do it medicinally. They do it recreationally, right? Mm-hmm. So what about all the people who might benefit from using it in small amounts medicinally? Um, when my daughter broke her arm at the end of September to set the bone, they gave her ketamine, which ketamine is a very popular recreational drug. Hmm. But there is a medicinal benefit from it, right? They gave her ketamine to kind of put her into a semi um what is that called? Semi-unconscious state or whatever. And they set mm-hmm. the bone. And then they gave her fentanyl on the way to the, the hospital as a painkiller. Wow. So, um, yeah, those things are mostly used, at least what I've seen them being used as like recreational forms of use. But there is an actual purpose for those, right? So... Is there a hard and fast ban from scripture on all mind altering medicines? So that would be like fentanyl if you broke a bone or ketamine if they're setting a bone or morphine or narcotics or painkillers when they're coming out of surgery. General anesthesia that alters the mind. So would scripture say you can't take any drug or medicine that alters consciousness? And I would say, no, there's a, there's a reason for that. Right. So like, Here's where it gets tricky with psychedelics. What if the medical treatment itself is to get intoxicated? Hmm. Like, in other words, it's not using the medicine to treat a symptom. It's not using the medicine so that you can have a procedure or go into surgery. The treatment for PTSD is for the patient to get intoxicated and go on a drug trip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, that's where I would have a ton of questions for that person considering that treatment if they're a Christian. Um, hmm. I, I don't know if I could say with, like, 100% certainty, chapter and verse, the Scripture completely prohibits this. But I do think that if the treatment is for you to go get intoxicated and go on a drug trip and you're going to find healing of that, there is the potential for great spiritual danger there and opening the door to some pretty dark stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm talking more about like the links between psychedelics and again, the world of the occult. And, um, I mean, just to come right out and say it, like there's a, there's a lot of demonic activity connected with the use of psychedelics. And mm-hmm. so if you're a Christian and you're like, well, I can just microdose this stuff. <clears throat> I, I just feel like that's not worth the risk that you'd be exposing yourself to spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so I, yeah, so I'm a little hesitant to give like a, a gold star, you know, endorsement. Of of, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go take DMT. It'll be fine. Um, so yeah, there, there's that, I, I, you know, being used differently, like medicinally, like an antidepressant or antipsychotic, you know, I don't know if I could say it's hundred percent evil any more than I could adamantly preach against all forms of prescription medication, but Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about, you know, in our society, the, the money, money making, uh, dreams that are coming true with that too, with, with different pharmaceutical companies that if they're like, Oh, if we can get doctors to prescribe psychedelics, then we can, there's a huge gain to be made. There's huge capital that we could, we can make off of that. Um, there's that component of it as well. I think that that would then, I mean, that, that would then blow it out of proportion in terms of it being promoted and shoved down people's throats and you know, you name it. Um, that's the kind of stuff you start to see on like daytime TV, you know, like yeah, commercials yeah, yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. for yeah. different things. And it's like, man, yeah. we just, we, we in the United States of America just take things to the extreme, you know? Um, yeah. And part of part of it is, is, is due in part to, to capitalism, which, which I, I tend to like, but, um, that, that does, for people that are unhealthy or people that don't have good, good, uh, boundaries in their life, um, that tend, that, that can have the potential to be destructive to themselves. Well, it's yeah. like THC gummies, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it started off with people saying, Oh, we're decriminalizing marijuana in certain States and this, that, and the other. Well, like I heard of someone telling me the other day that they, uh, they were talking with someone, a young lady who literally eats THC gummies all day long. It's like, she just snacks on them. Hmm. She just stays high on edibles all day long, goes to work, high, comes home, she's high. You know, it's just... <laughs> would be, it'd be a THC gummies and, and uh, Cheetos. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, that order. But it's just kind of like we, we as Americans are so looking for excuses to get intoxicated and to say it's good for us. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that's what we want. We want someone to tell us it is okay and it is good for you to get intoxicated. And it's just... I would say if you're if you're a Christian, then um, you, you can't read the Bible and come up with that conclusion. That's just not how that works. So, anyway, mm-hmm. moving on. Uh, Gabe, you want to look at another question? Yeah, this question is from Andrew, and hello, Andrew. Uh, thank you for your Andrew. <laughs> thank you for your very thoughtful question. Uh, you sound like a nice person. I'd like to meet one day. Uh, he says. Boycotting has also become a spiritual issue, it seems. Uh, what standards do each of you consider if you're considering not doing business with a company? Is it just related to an individual decision they make, i.e., I'll watch shows on a streaming service, just not the ones that support things I don't? Or more blanket decisions like, this company supports a cause that I don't, so I won't do any business with them? And that's a really good question. Um, very tough question, and it's a very nuanced question because um, there are there are families that I'm really close to that boycott businesses and boycott, uh, yeah, businesses and, and entities that I don't, and vice versa. But I'm very close friends with them, um, and that that's all over the spectrum. Um, so I'm not going to get into specifics on who I boycott or what what businesses I boycott. 
<laughs> but rather kind of something that Stacey and I will it will spark a conversation between the two of us to say, okay, we need to boycott. And here's the thing is, is boycotting is like, um, boycotting is saying, hey, let's make a public concerted effort to not do business with them because we see that they're taking the proceeds of this and doing things that are sinful with these proceeds. Yeah. And um, here's the thing is like, I remember back in the 90s, uh, the denomination I grew up in, made a public declaration of, of the fact that they're going to boycott Disney. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a lot of mixed feelings about it. I grew up in, in Florida where there's Disney, right? <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of like, place to well, grow up if you're going to boycott Disney, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's people that work at Disney that would go to our church. And so I remember there was a lot of mixed feelings about that and a lot of not, not necessarily conflict, but it was like, well, what do we do with this? Do we, do we stand by this edict that was sent down from, somewhere like four states north of us, you know, and, and how closely do we follow this? And I remember it was being talked about, even as a child, I remember it being talked about. Um, but it's like, did that sway Disney? And did our little denomination have any impact? I doubt it. Definitely not, actually, now that I think about it. they Disney did not look at their books and be like, oh, man, we lost this much revenue. Oh, it's those people from, you know, they didn't do that. Um and here, here's the, here's the realistic fact is that evangelical Christianity this day and age is, um, is still powerful in terms of its ability to sway the, the, the elections or sway, um, culture. But I think that there are powers that, have taken hold of certain components of our culture and media and entertainment that are so strong and so wealthy that they don't really care what evangelical Christianity does or doesn't mm. do. Yep. They're going to do it and they're going to push this agenda or whatever. So I think there's like boycotting and saying, well, we're not going to do this because they're giving it. But then I think there's like, you know, a different kind of like we are continually needing to look at ourselves as, in a sense, exiles, like we talked about earlier, living in a foreign land, living and surrounded by people and a system that John in the book of Revelation calls Babylon. And he's using it kind of metaphorically speaking, but we need to look at ourselves as being surrounded by the system of human exploitation for personal gain and saying, I'm going to withdraw to the best of my ability. I'm going to withdraw from this. But at the same time, I need to make a living for my family. At the same time, I need to make good memories with my family. Um, and at the same time, we need we need to go to the store and buy groceries, right? right <laughs> and we need right, to buy right. gas for our vehicles. It's we're so entangled in this system, and it is so hard to 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 fully withdraw from this and say, okay, hundred percent. You really just need to become like Amish and just move to like a big farm. And even then, you have to look right. at, man, you know, it's it's really tough. Um, so what we do in my family and Stacy and I is just we we usually um, try to make informed decisions with our money. Um, I remember there was a certain bank that I was banking with, and I found out that they were donating large sums of money to to Planned Parenthood, which is a large abortion provider. And there was this other bank, and it was like a perfectly fine bank that had all the same services. And I was like, well, let's just go ahead and do the, the work it takes to switch over to this bank. Send an email to my former bank and tell them, hey, you're a great bank. I I liked banking with you, but I can't do that anymore because of this. And I moved over to this other bank. Um, so 
you know, and I've made several decisions like that in the past and will continue to have to. Um, but at the same time, you have to have balance and say, well, um, you know, I, I still I still need to do business with the world around me. I still right. need to buy gasoline for my vehicle. I still need to buy milk. I still need to buy eggs. Right. And that's it's really tough because Babylon is almost like a boa constrictor as it's squeezing around us and tightening around us. We're going to find ourselves having to ask this question more frequently. And sometimes we're going to have to say, well, that's all there is. We, yeah. that's the, yeah. that's the only milk provider, you know, <laughs> right, or, right, right. or well, yeah. So it's sometimes, yeah, yeah. go ahead. I, I think of what Paul said in first Corinthians when he wrote to the Corinthian church, he said now concerning something they had misconstrued in a previous letter that they're not to have any connection with non-believers. He said, no, that's not what I meant because if that's the case, you would have to leave this world. Like in order to, mm-hmm. to live just day to day right you've got to have you've got to have associations with people who don't share your values right mm-hmm. um and then he said really what i meant is somebody that bears the name brother that isn't actually living it out somebody like that don't even eat with them right don't fellowship with them right so yeah. tells us we're not to have close friendships with people who claim to be christian but aren't actually living it out so that's an actual indictment i think on christian hypocrisy um I think a lot of it is a matter of conviction and conscience in the sense mm-hmm. of if we're looking at all of the connections we have and all the places that we give our money to, if there's something that we see and God shows us and we understand that somehow we're either contributing to that cause that is against our values or, um, you know, going along with it. And, and we should be praying and saying, Lord, is that really something that you want me to be a part of? Do you really really want me paying for the streaming service that has all these shows on here that are about X, Y, and Z, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd say if the Holy Spirit is telling you you don't need to do it, just don't do it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's important to respect other families mm-hmm. that don't come to the same conclusion you've come to. Um, because, you know, I keep using this phrase Babylon, but ba- Babylon would love for nothing, nothing more than for you to be divided against your brother or sister in Christ because they don't see eye to eye on something. Can, can I say they, something they to that as well? Yeah. 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 I would also say, check your motives for why you're doing a boycott or why you're choosing not to. Right. Mm-hmm. And and here's what I mean by that. Are you boycotting that because you truly have a conviction from the Holy Spirit that you don't need to do that? Or are you trying to virtue signal to other Christians about how spiritual you are because you don't let your kids watch Disney? Mm-hmm. Right, because I've seen that too, and that that kind of ticks me off. It's kind of oh well, we we don't shop at Home Depot, <laughs> we don't need to start, we don't let our kids watch Disney, we don't because of this. And it's just kind of like well, good for you, but like, are you doing that so that you can brag about how spiritual you are? Are you doing that because you truly have a conviction that you don't need to be doing that? Yeah, kind of like if you feel the need to do something and then broadcast it to everyone that they should do it too because you did it. You got to check your motives. Check your heart. <laughs> check, your heart. check your heart. Yeah. And that's good. That's good. Thank you, Andrew, for that question. That's a really good one. Uh, all right. Moving on to questions sent in by Kenny. Kenny sent in a question about our Word of Faith podcast. 
Um, he says, I love that you are tackling this subject. I've studied this topic in depth. One of the biggest non-biblical beliefs that a lot of hyper-charismatic slash word of faith people believe is that since God has three parts, God created us in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. They use two New Testament scriptures to base this fallacy on. The Old Testament and New Testament both use the words for soul and spirit interchangeably. I'd love for you to address this common belief on your next podcast. This one doctrine is the basis for quite a few of the beliefs of word of faith Christians. So, um, essentially what Kenny is asking about is a question related to whether humanity is a dichotomy. So, do we have two parts? That's body and soul slash spirit, where those two words are used interchangeably to describe the immaterial facets of who we are. Or, do we have three parts? Body, soul, and spirit. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think... Why this matters, and I think this is what Kenny is getting at with um, people in the Word of Faith movement, is some who hold to the trichotomous view have taught that because we have a body and because we have a soul, we have a spirit that is completely distinct, and so God can bypass our soul and intellect and communicate directly with our spirit. And so a lot of that teaching that God's going to bypass your mind or God's going to bypass your body. He's just going to go straight to your spirit, man. Um, it, it, it looks a lot like the new age and it feels a lot like mysticism. Actually, it, it has closer connections to Hinduism than, um, Orthodox Mm -hmm. Christianity. So, and, and also a lot of people with the trichotomy position that you are body, soul, and spirit, um, are really big on like Christians being demonized. So saying like, okay, so your soul has the Holy Spirit and your body has the Holy Spirit, but your spirit is possessed by a demon, right? Or your, you know, your spirit is the Holy Spirit and your body has the Holy Spirit, but your, uh, you know, your soul has the demon. And so it's just kind of, it's, it's very speculative when it comes into that sort of thing, right? So mm-hmm. I can get why he's concerned. I can get kind of how this could be an issue, but um, really diving into this. Um, which by the way, Gabe, have you, have you heard this Todd or seen this Todd? Body, mm, soul, spirit no. versus body, body. and No, I haven't. Uh-uh. Yeah. So like, um, here's what's obvious from scripture. All human beings are both material and spiritual. So we have a physical body and then we have a part of our being that is immaterial. Um, but if you really get into this topic, man, and you look at like 2,000 years of church history and you look at the scholarship done on this, man, a, a lot of like the intangible, non-physical qualities of who we are, that's, that's highly debated. Uh, Genesis 2-7 that says the man was created as a living soul. Number 16-22 names God as the God of spirits of all flesh. Proverbs 4-23 says above all, guard your heart. And we know that he's not talking about your, you know literal heart with your aorta and ventricles and all that stuff, but rather your heart, the central part of our will and emotions. So like, um, we as human beings, we're kind of, we're both like we're our body and then we're our, what's on the inside of us. All that is within us is what the psalmist said. So what Kenny is getting at is I think Kenny is saying like soul and spirit, according to the scriptures, those are, those are basically used interchangeably. Um, so that view is called the, the dichotomy view that man is a united body 
and spirit that together comprise a living soul. And a human soul is the spirit and body united as one personhood. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. And this is where we get into the Hebrew word nefesh that really refers to kind of a unified soul, a self, a a person that's comprised of both body and spirit. The body uses the, uh, or the Bible talks about, um, I think I'm pronouncing this right, Gabe, you're the Hebrew guy, ruach, the breath, mm -hmm. the wind, the spirit, yeah. right? Being separated from your body. So you've got a body and then you've got the ruach. And so your nefesh is kind of both of those together. Um, and so that's one view. That's kind of the, the dichotomy view. The other view that holds to the dichotomy position is that, so spirit and soul are the same thing, just using different names. And there's uh, instances where they're kind of used interchangeably and they're kind of synonymous. And so um, the dichotomy view is, I think, what Kenny is holding to, that man is either a body and spirit, which makes a soul, or a body, and then you've got a soul and a spirit. <laughs> that makes sense? <laughs> Just two parts? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then what he's saying is the, the wrong view is the view that says, no, humanity is your body. That's one part, your soul, that's two part, your spirit, that's three part. And we see this in First Thessalonians 5.23. Let me see if I can uh, read this. 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um. And so people that hold the trichotomy view say, no, that seems to differ differentiate between the spirit and the soul, that the soul would be your mind, your will, your emotions. The spirit would be the immaterial part of you that connects with the divine. Um, and then people on the other side of that, I think where Kenny's coming from, uh, say, okay, well, then does Mark 1230, where it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are we four parts instead of three parts, right? <laughs> And, and so, like, I'll just say this. Um, at the end of the day, people have been differing over this issue for centuries. There's never been a decisive orthodox declaration of which is true. And so, Kenny, I'm really sorry, man, but I don't think we can decisively declare a winner or a loser when it comes to this debate. Because this has been going on for, like, 2,000 years of church history. <laughs> mm. So I don't, I don't know if it's... Um, going to get solved in a podcast, right? Um, so I don't know if it's really even that important to conclusively decide whether we, we as humans are two parts or three parts, whether we're just body and soul spirit or body and soul. Um, and I think you can be within the boundaries of Christian orthodoxy with either one, whether you see that we're three parts or two parts. I, I think what is important, and I agree with you, Kenny, it's, it's important for us to be cautious with those who would um, overemphasize their interpretation of this doctrine in a way that would kind of justify mysticism or superstition. Does that make sense? Yeah, or be weary of someone who makes this a big issue for the purpose and the goal of ostracizing other believers or separating themselves from fellowship of other people because, like you said, this is... This both of those views, and I agree with that statement, fit within Orthodox Christianity yeah. in terms of neither of them are really like way out in left field. Mm -mm. And and because of that, there needs to be a degree of tolerance with people that don't agree with you on this particular issue. 
Right. So, and that's how I view, I view a lot of eschatological topics, um, the, dealing with the end times. Uh, there's just so many different opinions swirling around, and there's so little explicit clarity in Scripture about it. And it's like we, it's one of those things that Christians divide themselves so fiercely over. Yeah. It's such a tragic, tragic thing, but. Yeah, so I think a word of caution is appropriate in that. So if somebody's saying that, like, mm-hmm. no, you don't need to think about it. Just let your spirit, man, receive this. Eh. Mm-hmm. It yeah, sounds like, like mysticism and Hinduism. Yeah. So I would I'd be cautious with that. But, like, at the end of the right. day, I think Bible-believing Christians can disagree on this and still be friends. Mm-hmm. So, and, and honestly, just, just like, just being truthful, I, I spend a lot of time studying this, and um, I don't even know which one I am. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, like, I, seriously, I can, I'm like reading these verses. I'm like, well, I can see it this way. Reading these verses, I can see it this way. I, I don't really know if it matters all that much. I know that, like, yeah. there's a physical part of me and there's a spiritual part of me or an immaterial part of me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, but yeah, I'd be cautious to people who overemphasize that. So, we got to mm-hmm. keep, we got to keep moving. We got more questions yeah. to, to tackle. Last so. question for me uh, is okay. from Ben. Okay. Ben asks, and hello, Ben. Thanks for your great questions. He says, Ben. Uh, do you know Ben? I know Ben. Yeah. Ben's you know Ben. Guy. Oh, okay. I know Ben. Okay, good. I don't know Ben. Yeah. But maybe one day we can get to know you Ben. You should, yeah. He, okay. He says, are there doctrines or Christian practices or passages of Scripture that the two of you guys, I'm assuming he's talking about us, disagree mm. about but can discuss as brothers and still be friends? Mm. As in when Christian brothers and sisters do not see a particular passage of Scripture the same way, how do we still maintain unity in the bond of peace without writing the other person off just as a big dummy? Mm. <laughs> Josh, you're just such a big dummy. <laughs> you big dummy. So let's go back to the first part. Are there doctrines, Christian practices, passages of scripture that the two of you guys disagree about? Yes, probably. I, no. I, 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 can't, I can't sit down with a piece of paper and write all of this out it's been, right Wait, it's been trying to, has it been trying to incite a riot? Is that what he's trying to do? Trying to break this Maybe. podcast up? See the Yoko Onyo of uh, podcasts? Cool. Mm. Maybe he he wants to be maybe he's he wants to be the co-host. That's what <laughs> he's trying to get. <laughs> he's trying to get us to break up so he can get in here. Hey Ben, if you want to wake up at five fifteen in the morning on Wednesdays, and... <laughs> I mean, what do you? No. Get, is there? I mean, like let's lean into that. Are there? Do you think there's big passage scriptures? Maybe we disagree about. I think. I don't. I don't think that there's big doctrinal things that we disagree about. Like yeah. um, big, big. I mean, there, there are probably some things. Like, but, so when when we talked about uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism, yeah, at that podcast, I think I lean more towards the Calvinist side. Right. Right. Whereas I'm I'm full on Arminians, but yeah. within yeah. So it's but but like that's something that I've changed on and I've seen other people change. So, and that's the thing is I'm going to, how I'm going to answer this question is like, I could sit down with Josh and be like, Hey, let's find all of our, all of our disagreements on these particular topics and practices Mm -hmm. within our own families and our own lives. But it's like, well, it seems evident that as we are growing together um, and we've been friends for gosh, like pushing 20 years. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like we've seen each other grow. We've matured together. Um, why, why would I sit down and, like, write this list out and be like, okay, 
if it's under 10, we can still be friends. If it's over 10, <laughs> we cannot be, you know, like this seems so un, yeah, yeah. unfruitful. Right. But yeah, there are, there are probably things there. There are very likely, there's definitely things we disagree on. And I can't really go through and enumerate all of those right now. And that's probably a good thing. It's not mm -hmm. on the forefront of my mind. But um, when he asks, like, how do you, how, uh, when, when Christian brothers or sisters do not see a particular passage of Scripture the same way, how do we still maintain unity? And I really want to focus on that. I don't want to go into mm -hmm. where you and I differ on things. I want to go into that because we definitely do differ on things. And we definitely maybe come to different conclusions on things. But here's how we maintain unity in the bond of peace without writing the other person off as a big dummy. I say, I say, Gabe Rutledge, remember that you were once wrong about a lot of things and how you looked at Scripture and how you interpreted different passages of the Bible. You were once wrong. Mm. The likelihood of you being wrong again is very high. So mm. give yourself humble yourself, chastise yourself in that, knowing that you were once wrong. Yeah. So Ben, you were once wrong on something. Um, <laughs> Josh, you were once wrong on something with scripture. So the chances of you being wrong again are very high. So give yourself right. that. And then once you humble yourself in that, know it reminds you that, wait, I could be wrong in this stance that I'm taking, or the other person could be wrong. But just know that you were once wrong. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Also, secondly, remember you're not the Holy Spirit. So Josh is not, while he's, I, he is in my sphere of influence kind of, but like he's not under my biblical authority. So like I, I maybe influence Josh and Ben, I maybe influence you, but I'm not over you as a biblical authority. So I can't look at Josh and say, Josh, you need to fix this doctrine, you know? Mm. Josh is a pastor, and he has people in his life who can say that to him. I'm not in that circle of authoritative figures in Josh's life. I'm a friend, so yeah, by, you know, by extension, I do influence him, but I'm not, I'm not a biblical authority. So therefore, I don't have the right to go to Josh and say, Josh, you really need to fix this. I could, as a friend, say like, Josh, hey man, I love you. It seems like you're an error in this particular thing. Right. I want you to pray about this, but I, I can't look down my nose at him or, or you, Ben, and say, you need to fix this. I'm, I'm really big on like biblical authority and hierarchy within a local church and congregation. Yeah, it's huge. I think that's really important, too. And I, I love that you said that, like um, people that are doctrine police just for the sake of doctrine, being a doctrine police, right? They mm -hmm. go online and pick Facebook fights with people. And then quote the Apostle Paul and say, I'm just doing what Paul's doing. No, mm. you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Paul, Paul was reproving false doctrine in churches that he was responsible for as their apostle. Yeah. <laughs> you're picking yeah. Facebook fights because you're insecure and you want people to think you're smart. Those mm. are two very different things. Yeah. And Ben, but not I, to say you've done that. You haven't done that. Guy. I've definitely done that, unfortunately. That's yeah, yeah, part of the maturing process as you grow out of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important, too, to remember that you agree on so much. So, Ben, you likely agree with me on so much. And why would I focus on what we disagree on? And, you know, we, can, we can have dialogue over the things we disagree on, but we agree on. And, and Satan wants nothing more to divide the flock and divide the body. Sure. And he will use doctrine, doctrinal differences to be able to do that. Also, remember... Um, to be patient 
with someone that you disagree with and you don't see eye to eye on, be patient because I am a firm believer that the truth defends itself. And if, mm-hmm. so let's say Josh and I disagree about something doctrinally, I, and, and I know that Josh is a person that seeks out truth in a very, um, a very objective and, and non-biased way. I have to know that the truth is going to be evident to him and it will defend itself. So there are either people that I've had conversations with, they see something that's completely different in scripture. And I remember telling them, well, that's, that's fine. I mean, I believe that you are a person of truth and honesty and, and you hold this because you really do see that Mm -hmm. and you, Mm -hmm. um, but, and I, I say, well, let's just settle on, let the truth defend itself. And it right. will become evident to you or I whether or not we're wrong. Yeah. And be patient in that. And Absolutely. Um, yeah, Absolutely. life's too short to be grumpy and divisive over minor doctrinal things. Now, if it's a right. big doctrinal thing, and they're claiming to be a brother or a sister, then yeah, there's there's some uh, there's there's a spectrum. There's a it's it's eventually you're going to have to get to the point where we're like, wait, they're believing something that is very undoc- un, right. un unscriptural. I need to do something right, right, about right, that. Right, right. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Real good. Uh, let's uh, move on. I want, I want to get to two more. And we're going to do it really quickly, like 10 more minutes. Um, this question is from Jeremy and Kelly, and they asked about The Chosen. Mm. Um, the Chosen series has been praised as being the closest thing to biblical accuracy you can watch on TV. Then on the other hand, there is a lot of negative scrutiny from many Christians calling it pantheistic, mystic, false gospel representations of the LDS. That's the Mormon church. What are your thoughts? So um, I'm familiar with the show because I've watched the first season, but I'm not familiar with the criticism of the show. So Jeremy and Kelly, I had to go search out what people were saying to really find out like what it is. And there's a lot of angry bloggers out there <laughs> that hate The Chosen, um, probably because it's popular and anything that gets popular, people hate. Um, so, like, here's the biggest scrutiny I've seen is that the show's creative retelling of the gospel narratives. These really angry bloggers say that the show is adding to or twisting or reinterpreting the scriptures. And then claiming that since we have no record of certain things happening in scripture, the show itself is blasphemous, unscriptural. Um it's influenced by other sources besides the scripture. And that's something we'll get into here in a minute. But um, here's just my thoughts. I I think the really angry bloggers need to chill for a minute and just consider the nature of something called art. Um, Storytelling that's based on historical events has to use artistic license. So I don't think anything in the chosen contradicts or, subverts or changes the gospel accounts. It's just the writers have kind of inserted or modified some characters or storylines to give backstories of characters. Um, And so the whole point is to try to get people to see biblical characters as real people that deal with the kind of issues that people deal with. So I think as long as people understand what they're seeing as art, it's not real life. And then they compare that with scripture. I don't think there's, danger of confusion there as long as people understand that this is art this is not like the bible never says that matthew had asperger's right <laughs> um <laughs> that's kind of how the show depicts him which i think is a really really interesting depiction of matthew which i, I actually kind of thought was cool but um so that's one i don't i don't think there's any danger of saying that like you know veggie tales is bad because you know the 
French peas in the city of Jericho are throwing slushies at the little vegetables outside. Like, are you kidding? Come on, man. It's a kid. It's like, that's not what really happened. We know that's just a, like if your kids act out a Bible story in Sunday school, you're not going to go in with your big, thick, black King James Bible and say, that's not how it happened. Like, just start just, whopping them over the head. Just, with it. <laughs> yeah. Blasphemy. Hit your six year old, right? <laughs> um, so I just, I don't know. Chill out, man. It's, it's not, it, it's, art it's a creative retelling so that would be the first second big red flag i've seen people have is that members of the lds church uh are involved in the production and that resources owned by the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints are used to film the show now this is a popular claim and i've tried to get to the bottom of it and here's like where it comes from the distributor of the show is a streaming service called Vid Angel, and that was founded by two Mormons. And so, Vid Angel started to distribute the Chosen. That was kind of one of their the big shows, right, on their platform. Um, Dallas Jenkins, the creator of the Chosen, made some comments that seemed like he was embracing Mormons, but he later kind of retracted that and said, "No, no, no. There's some huge differences there." So that's that's really it. There's nothing about the finished product at all that's Mormon. I would say that it's it's pretty consistent with the gospel narrative. It has a lot of artistic license, but I, I personally don't think that that represents Mormon theology. I don't think it's safe to say at all that it's a Mormon show or it's a Catholic show, any of that. Um so here's what I'd say about the Mormon connections. If your conscience bothers you because there there's some people that are Mormon that are trying to promote the show, then don't watch the show. But I don't think it's fair for someone to make a blanket claim that it's a Mormon show that's created and made by Mormons. Because if you actually start looking at the truth, that's simply not the case at all. Mm -hmm. um, that's a rumor. And I, I really think the more I kind of researched this and got to like the ground zero of where did this start, it's really more of a conspiracy theory than anything else. And I don't think it's a good one um, because it's literally like, oh, did you know that VidAngel showed the chosen and well, who owns VidAngel? Ah, Mormons. Therefore, IE, EG, connect these dots. Therefore, the chosen is a Mormon show. And it's like, that's not, that's not true at all. Mm -hmm. um, which, by the way, Mormons think they're Christian, and there's a lot of Christian music that my Mormon neighbor, who thought he was a Christian, really enjoyed. Does that mean I say that Matthew West is a Mormon because Mormons listen to his music? No. So, um, yeah, let's kind of feel about that. What do you feel about that, uh, Gabe? Oh, no, I was afraid you'd ask. Okay, so so I, I've watched every single episode of The Chosen. Okay, I have not, any, so... Any, Anytime, anytime, look, anytime like a, a show is produced or a movie is produced about any biblical story or character, and this is what every believer should do is stretch out their arms and hold it at arm's length, right? Yes. And they should say, wait, it's not is, the Bible. This is, this is not, unless it's like the gospel of John where they did like the, that was a really cool, like they verse for verse, line yeah. for line. That was really cool. Like, yep. but this is an artistic rendering interpretation of scripture and the passages of the gospels. I mean, just look at Peter's biceps. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have big ones? Do he have big like, guns? <laughs> these are all, yeah. It's like all, all these disciples are like Abercrombie and Fitch models, and they're like, <laughs> come on, you got, episode one. You should have been like, okay, 
Ain't, ain't no fisherman in the Galilee going to have biceps <laughs> as ripped as Peter's, right? I don't know, man. And He's I'm picking like, up those heavy nets. I mean, you know. Maybe. I'm like covering yeah. Stacy's eyes when they're, like, they're wearing these little <laughs> they're wearing these little mini skirts and stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that. But <laughs> no, it's like, it's, it is, like you said, it's an artistic rendering of an interpretation of the Gospels. And should it should it be closely more closely aligned to scripture i don't i don't know i mean the guy has a ton ton of money and contributors and and uh financiers that he can he can make it whatever he wants um but so far i have found the show to be enjoyable like you said i haven't found any huge blatant scriptural errors and believe me i'm holding at our arm's length and, yeah. and and waiting for that moment to come because I'm not getting super emotionally attached and invested in the show because I know that there's a there is a likelihood that that is coming the big right, departure sure. from yeah. from from biblical doctrine but that's what that's where I'm at right now yeah no I'm I'm kind of the same way I I'm just like the contrarian in me and Gabe I think you and I share this too anything that's popular I get skeptical of mm-hmm. so I was very skeptical of the chosen for a long time because of that because a lot of people were like oh my gosh the chosen I'm like yeah no I'm not watching it. Mm-hmm. And then I started watching it, and I was like, that's that's pretty good. I enjoy it. There's some good spots, but like I think I think the bible is is pretty good too. Hmm. so I think we should be more excited about like reading the Gospels than we should watching the chosen. That's just have you me. seen a little ske- have you seen a little sketch on on YouTube or I don't know where it is, but they're like sitting around this Bible study, and there's like this newcomer to the Bible study, and they're like, all right. After uh, they, the Bible study guy, he like he goes, okay. After Jesus's death, and then one of the guy, the new guy's like, wait, he dies? And he's, they're like, they're like, yeah, Jesus dies. And he's like, I'm only on season two. You just, just spoiled it for me. And he's like, and they're like, they're like, they're like, well, that, that, that's kind of common knowledge. He's like, I didn't, I didn't know he dies. And and then he, they're like, why? Why did you just spoil it? And then they go, well, listen, he comes back to life and they're like the guy the guy's like what this show is amazing he's gonna come back to life yeah it was really funny oh that's good i like that uh we have one more question it's a huge one i don't know if we can do it justice in five minutes but we'll i don't know we'll we'll like touch on it and if we need to do another episode on it we will um our friend gregory says i'm a nerdy fan of jewish history and context him that's the source material right and I dig that Gabe is steeped in that soup, too. I would love to hear your thoughts on why understanding Jewish culture and subculture is essential for understanding Scripture, and also how and why Israel is still vital in the world stage. Will there be a literal third temple in Jerusalem, or are we that third temple? Oh, gosh, that is a large I, uh, Yeah, question. I feel like we could do about... a whole episode on that, and maybe we should yeah. just do a whole episode on that. But... um yeah. Just like scratching the surface, and maybe our next episode will be all about this. Yes, it is essential for us to understand Jewish culture and subculture to understand Scripture. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say that it's it's. I, I believe the Holy Spirit can reveal things to you through through the pages of Scripture, but in in terms of like fully understanding what's going on, uh, yeah, I think that's that's really important. Yeah. So, John seven thirty seven, Jesus says. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is the last and greatest day of the festival? Well, you got to go back to verse 2 of John 7. What is the festival? It was the Feast of Tabernacles. So on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the Mishnah tells us 
and the Mishnah is a collected teachings of rabbis, that the high priest would lead a procession to the Pool of Siloam where he'd dip a pitcher in the pool. And then the worshipers would go and process to the temple. And they would arrive at the temple. The high priest would pour out the pitcher high. He would hold it high, and then he would pour its contents on the ground. And it was to commemorate Moses striking the rock and God providing water to his people Israel. And at this moment, he would claim, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That's Isaiah 12.3. So right at the climax of this happening, Jesus says, that anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Hmm. Now, that is so amazing to think about what mm-hmm. Jesus is saying in the context of the Jewish festivals and culture. But like, mm-hmm. if you don't know any of that, you kind of miss about 50% of what's happening in that verse. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's very helpful for us to be at least somewhat familiar with that. If we're going to be responsible Bible scholars, um, I think at least we've got to do some of the work of digging into the details of the text Mm-hmm. But I think it helps even to study Jewish history to see what's going on with certain aspects of the narrative. So, yeah, I think that's very, 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 very important. Um, as far as Israel being vital on the world stage, I think depending on your eschatology, that's what you believe by the end times, there seems to be a tremendous amount of prophecy surrounding Israel's role in the last days. So um, Gabe and I would consider ourselves uh, uh Historic premillennialist, premillennialist, is that right, Gabe? Mm-hmm. 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 So we literally believe there's going to be a thousand-year reign, and Jesus is going to rule and reign from the throne in Jerusalem. So, in order for that to happen, there's got to be things that happen in Israel in order for the Messianic kingdom to come to Israel. Now, other people would say they are <clears throat> amillennialist, so they would not believe that's literal; that's more symbolic. So, I think depending on your Eschatology, I think that's how you would view Israel in the world stage. Um, so that's kind of a cop-out question for that, but I think that's <laughs> that's, the easy, that's the easy question, you know, in the sense of, mm-hmm. like, we do. Yes, absolutely. Uh, others might not, but it kind of seems like Israel is the epicenter of God's activity in the last days, and that when the kingdom is restored, Jesus will rule and reign from his throne in the New Jerusalem. Um, now, that third temple... Like, according to Gabe in my eschatology, there's got to be some things that happen in a third temple mm-hmm. at the end of all things, right? So in order for things to happen in the third temple, it kind of has to be rebuilt. Mm-hmm. So is that a literal temple that's going to be rebuilt, or is that figuratively speaking about the people of God? Um, and oftentimes in Scripture, when you're faced with the and or, is it this or is it this? Uh, it can be both. Yeah. Just saying. I don't know that this is the case, but sometimes both is a is a good answer. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I see it that way, too. I mean, yeah, there's so much to be said about that. Maybe we could do a whole episode on the new the new temple, mm-hmm. what that means. Because like N.T. Wright would say, no, it's just the body of Messiah. There's not going to be an earthly temple. Um, and of course, there's a bunch of people that would say, no, kind of seems like everything being described in Daniel nine and everything Jesus talks about that's happening in a literal temple. I don't know how you can make that figurative, but then you've got others that say, well, that already did happen. It mm-hmm. happened with Antiochus Epiphanes, you know, back before Jesus actually came, you know, and Jerusalem was ransacked. Um, 
Yeah. You know, yeah, I so, think there's like, Daniel, there's like three mentions of an abomination of desolation mm-hmm, of some kind. Mm-hmm. There's like three of them. Yeah. And I think so far we've had like two, maybe. Yep. Um, and it, yeah, I think there needs, there needs to at least be an altar on yeah. a temple mount, which can be um, desecrated somehow. Sure. That's That's my view on it, at least. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. So, but yeah, so Gregor, that's kind of where we lean, man. I'm sorry that didn't really get into the details of it. Maybe we'll do another episode where we get into the details of Jerusalem and Israel in the last days and kind of where we see it as people who believe in a literal millennial kingdom that will come as historic premillennialists. So, but uh, yeah, great question. Maybe we get uh, John Hagee to be our guest. <laughs> oh, John Hagee. He's, he's too busy watching Blood Moons. He's not going to do that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, and thanks even more for sending in your questions. And uh, if you have any more follow-up questions on anything we talked about today, send us an email, beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on the YouTube channel, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review. Or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.